Chapter 11 of Freckles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Freckles by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter 11 Wherein the Butterflies Go on a Spree, and Freckles Informs the Bird Woman. I wish, said Freckles at breakfast one morning, that I had some way to be sending a message to the bird woman. I've something at the swamp that I'm believing never happened before, and surely she'll be wanting it. What now, Freckles? asked Mrs. Duncan. Why, the oddest thing you ever heard of, said Freckles. The whole insect tribe gone on a spree. I'm supposing it's my doings, but it all happened by accident-like. You see, on the swale side of the line, right against me trail, there's one of these scrub wild crab trees. Where the grass grows thick around it is the finest place you ever conceived of for snakes. Having women about has set me trying to clear out those fellows a bit, and yesterday I noticed that tree in passing. It struck me that it would be a good idea to be taking it out. First I thought I'd take me hatchet and cut it down, for it ain't thicker than my upper arm. Then. I remembered how it was blooming in the spring and filling all the air with sweetness. The coloring of the blossoms is beautiful, and I hated to be killing it. I just cut the grass short all around it. Then I started at the ground, trimmed up the trunk near the height of me shoulder, and left the top spreading. That made it look so truly ornamental that, idle-like, I chips off the rough places neat, and this morning, on my soul, it's a sight. You see, cutting off the limbs and trimming up the trunk sets the sap running. In this hot sun it ferments in a few hours. There isn't much room for more things to crowd on that tree than there are, and to get drunker isn't nowadays possible. Well, I'll be dawned on, exclaimed Mrs. Duncan. What kind of things do you mean, Freckles? Why, just an army of black ants. Some of them are sucking away like old topers. Some of them are setting up on their tails and hind legs, fiddling with their forefeet and wiping their eyes. Some are rolling on the ground contented. There are quantities of big blue-bottle flies all over the bark and hanging on the grasses around, too drunk to steer a course flying, so they just buzz away like flying and all the time sitting still. The snake-feeders are too full to feed anything even more sap to themselves. There's a lot of hard-backed bugs. Beetles, I guess, colored like the brown, blue, and black of a peacock's tail. They hang on until their legs of them are so wake they can't stick a minute longer. And then they break away and fall to the ground. They just lay there on their backs, fably clawing air. When it wears a bit, up they get, and go crawling back for more. And they so full they bump into each other and roll over. Sometimes they can't climb the tree until they wait to sober up a little. There's a lot of big black and gold bumblebees done for entire, stumbling over the bark and rolling on the ground. They just lay there on their backs, rocking from side to side, singing to themselves like fat, happy babies. The wild bees keep up a steady buzzing with the beating of their wings. The butterflies are the worst old topers of them all. They're just a circus. You never saw the like of the beauties. They come every color you could be naming, and every shape you could be thinking up. They drink and drink until, if I'm driving them away, they stagger as they fly and turn somersaults in the air. If I leave them alone, they cling to the grasses, shivering happy-like. And I'm blessed, Mother Duncan, if the best of them could be unlocking the front door with a lead pencil even. I never heard of anything say surprising, said Mrs. Duncan. It's a rare sight to watch them, and no one ever made a picture of a thing like that before. I'm for thinking, said Freckles earnestly.
Nah, said Mrs. Duncan, you can be pretty sure they dinna. The bird woman must have word in some way. If ye walk the line, and I walk to town and tell her. If ye think ye can wait until after supper, I am most sure ye can gang yourself, for Duncan is coming home, and he'd be glad to watch for ye. If he doesna come, and not any passes that I can send word with to-day, I really will gang early in the morning, and tell her myself. Freckles took his lunch and went to the swamp. He walked and watched eagerly. He could find no trace of anything, yet he felt a tense nervousness, as if trouble might be brooding. He examined every section of the wire, and kept watchful eyes on the grasses of the swale, in an effort to discover if anyone had passed through them. But he could discover no trace of anything to justify his fears. He tilted his hat-brim to shade his face, and looked for his chickens. They were hanging almost beyond sight in the sky. "'Gee,' he said, "'if I only had your sharp eyes and convenient location now, I wouldn't need be troubling so.' He reached his room, and cautiously scanned the entrance before he stepped in. Then he pushed the bushes apart with his right arm and entered, his left hand on the butt of his favorite revolver. Instantly he knew that someone had been there. He stepped to the center of the room, closely scanning each wall and the floor. He could find no trace of a clue to confirm his belief, yet so intimate was he with the spirit of the place that he knew. How he knew he could not have told, yet he did know that someone had entered his room, sat on his benches, and walked over his floor. He was surest about the case. Nothing was disturbed, yet it seemed to Freckles that he could see where prying fingers had tried the lock. He stepped behind the case, carefully examining the ground all around it. Close beside the tree to which it was nailed, he found a deep, fresh footprint in the spongy soil, a long, narrow print that was never made by the foot of Wesner. His heart tugged in his breast as he mentally measured the print, but he did not linger, for now the feeling arose that he was being watched. It seemed to him that he could feel the eyes of some intruder at his back. He knew he was examining things too closely. If anyone were watching, he would not want him to know that he felt it. He took the most open way, and carried water for his flowers and moss as usual. But he put himself in no position in which he was fully exposed, and his hand was close to his revolver constantly. Growing restive at last under the strain, he plunged boldly into the swamp and searched minutely all around his room but he could not discover the least thing to give him further cause for alarm. He unlocked his case, took out his wheel, and for the remainder of the day he rode and watched as he never had before. Several times he locked the wheel and crossed the swamp on foot, zigzagging to cover all the space possible. Every rod he traveled he used the caution that sprang from knowledge of danger, and the direction from which it would probably come. Several times he thought of sending for McLean, but for his life he could not make up his mind to do it, and with nothing more tangible than one footprint to justify him. He waited until he was sure Duncan would be home, if he were coming for the night, before he went to supper. The first thing he saw as he crossed the swale was the big bays in the yard. There had been no one passing that day, and Duncan readily agreed to watch until Freckles rode to town. He told Duncan of the footprint, and urged him to guard closely. Duncan said that he may rest easy, and filling his pipe, and taking a good revolver, the man went to the Limberlost. Freckles made himself clean and neat and raced to town, but it was night, and the stars were shining before he reached the home of the bird woman. From afar he could see that the house was ablaze with lights. 
The lawn and veranda were strung with fancy lanterns and alive with people. He thought his errand important, so to turn back never occurred to Freckles. This was all the time or opportunity he would have. He must see the bird woman and see her at once. He leaned his wheel inside the fence and walked up at the broad front entrance. As he neared the steps he saw that the place was swarming with young people, and the angel, with an excuse to a group that surrounded her, came hurrying to him. "'Oh, Freckles!' she cried delightedly. "'So you could come? We were so afraid you could not. I'm as glad as I can be.' "'I don't understand,' said Freckles. "'Were you expecting me?' "'Why, of course!' exclaimed the angel. "'Haven't you come to my party?' "'Didn't you get my invitation? I sent you one.' "'By mail?' asked Freckles. "'Yes,' said the angel. "'I had to help with the preparations, and I couldn't find time to drive out. But I wrote you a letter, and I told you that the bird woman was giving a party for me, and I wanted you to come, surely. I told them at the office to put it with Mr. Duncan's mail.' Hm, "'Then that's likely where it is at present,' said Freckles. "'Duncan comes to town only once a week, and at times not that. He's home tonight for the first in a week.' He's watching an hour for me until I come to the bird woman with a bit of work I thought she'd be caring to hear about. Is she where I can see her? The angel's face clouded. What a disappointment! she cried. I did so want all my friends to know you. Can't you stay anyway? Freckles glanced from his waiting boots to the patent leathers of some of Angel's friends and smiled whimsically. But there was no danger of his ever misjudging her again. You know I cannot, Angel, he said. "'I am afraid I do,' she said ruefully. "'It's too bad. But there's a thing I want for you more than to come to my party, and that is to hang on and win with your work. I think of you every day, and I just pray that those thieves are not getting ahead of you. Oh, Freckles, do watch closely.' She was so lovely a picture, as she stood before him ardent in his cause, that Freckles could not take his eyes from her to notice what her friends were thinking. If she did not mind, why should he?' Anyway, if they really were the angel's friends, probably they were better accustomed to her ways than he. Her face and bared neck and arms were like the wild rose bloom. Her soft frock of white tulle lifted and stirred around her with the gentle evening air. The beautiful golden hair that crept around her temples and ears as if it loved to cling there was caught back and bound with broad blue satin ribbon. There was a sash of blue at her waist and knots of it catching up her draperies. "'Must I go after the bird-woman?' she pleaded. "'Indeed you must,' answered Freckles firmly. The angel went away, but returned to say the bird-woman was telling a story to those inside, and she could not come for a short time. "'You won't come in?' she pleaded. "'I must not,' said Freckles. "'I'm not dressed to be among your friends, and I might be forgetting myself and stay too long.' "'Then,' said the angel, "'we mustn't go through the house, because it would disturb the story.' but i want you to come outside way to the conservatory and have some of my birthday lunch and some cake to take to mrs duncan and the babies won't that be fun freckles thought that it would be more than fun and followed delightedly the angel gave him a big glass brimming with some icy sparkling liquid that struck his palate as it had never been touched before because a combination of frosty fruit juices had not been a frequent beverage with him the night was warm and the angel most beautiful and kind. A triple delirium of spirit, mind, and body seized upon him and developed a boldness all unnatural. He slightly parted the heavy curtains that separated the conservatory from the company and looked between. He almost stopped breathing. He had read of things like that, 
but he never had seen them. The open space seemed to stretch through half a dozen rooms, all ablaze with lights, perfumed with flowers, and filled with elegantly dressed people. There were glimpses of polished floors, sparkling glass, and fine furnishings. From somewhere the voice of his beloved bird-woman arose and fell. The angel crowded beside him, and was watching also. "'Doesn't it look pretty?' she whispered. Ah, "'Do you suppose heaven is any finer than that?' asked Freckles. The angel began to laugh. "'Do you want to be laughing harder than that?' queried Freckles. "'A laugh is always good,' said the angel. "'A little more avoir du poids won't hurt me. Go ahead.' "'Well, then,' said Freckles, "'it's only that I feel all over as if I belonged here.' I could wear fine clothes, and move over those floors, and hold me own against the best of them. But where does my laugh come in? demanded the angel, as if she had been defrauded. And you ask me where the laugh comes in, looking me in the face after that, marveled Freckles. I wouldn't be so foolish as to laugh at such a manifest truth as that, said the angel. Anyone who knows you even half as well as I do, knows that you are never guilty of a discourtesy, and you move with twice the grace of any man here. Why shouldn't you feel as if you belonged where people are graceful and courteous? On my soul, said Freckles, you are kind to be thinking it. You are doubly kind to be saying it. The curtains parted and a woman came toward them. Her silks and laces trailed across the polished floors. The lights gleamed on her neck and arms and flashed from rare jewels. She was smiling brightly, and until she spoke, Freckles had not realized fully that it was his loved bird-woman. Noticing his bewilderment, she cried, "'Why, Freckles, don't you know me in my war clothes?' "'I do in the uniform in which you fight the Limberlost,' said Freckles. The bird-woman laughed. Then he told her why he had come, but she scarcely could believe him. She could not say exactly when she would go, but she would make it as soon as possible, for she was most anxious for the study. While they talked, the angel was busy packing a box of sandwiches, cake, fruit, and flowers. She gave him a last frosty glass, thanked him repeatedly for bringing news of new material. Then Freckles went into the night. He rode toward the Limberlost with his eyes on the stars. Presently he removed his hat, hung it to his belt, and ruffled his hair to the sweep of the night wind. He filled the air all the way with snatches of oratorios, gospel hymns and dialect, and coon songs in a startlingly varied program. The one thing Freckles knew that he could do was to sing. The Duncans heard him coming a mile up the corduroy and could not believe their senses. Freckles unfastened the box from his belt and gave Mrs. Duncan and the children all the edibles it contained, except for one big piece of cake that he carried to the sweet-loving Duncan. He put the flowers back in the box and set it among his books. He did not say anything, but they understood it was not to be touched. "'That's Freckles's flowers,' said a tiny Scotsman. "'But,' he added cheerfully, "'it's our sweeties.'" Freckles's face slowly flushed as he took Duncan's cake and started toward the swamp. While Duncan ate, Freckles told him something about the evening, as well as he could find words to express himself, and the big man was so amazed he kept forgetting the treat in his hands. Then Freckles mounted his wheel and began a spin that terminated only when the biggest Plymouth rock in Duncan's coop saluted a new day, and long lines of light reddened the east. As he rode he sang. While he sang he worshipped. But the god he tried to glorify was a dim and far-away mystery. 
The angel was warm flesh and blood. Every time he passed the little bark-covered imprint on the trail, he dismounted, removed his hat, sullenly knelt, and laid his lips on the impression. Because he kept no account himself, only the laughing-faced old man of the moon knew how often it happened. And as from the beginning to the follies of earth, that gentleman has ever been kind. With the near approach of dawn, Freckles turned his last note. Wearied almost to falling, he turned from the trail into the path leading to the cabin for a few hours' rest. End of chapter 11